0: Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falconside from Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello. Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Hey, guys. Film reviewer and filmmaker Eddie Fong. Sup. And film enthusiast and myth-tragic Chanel Tarabe.
1: Hi, everyone.
0: Now, I say myth-tragic because it is the Melbourne International Film Festival, and I've got to say, the 2 scr studio looks a lot like Melbourne.
2: In fact, it looks a lot like a food court. There's a Starbucks coffee and a Mrs Fields. Yeah, Film Fight Club is a bit different this week.
3: I mean, we are on location because we have traveled to Melbourne for you guys. Look at the things we do for you guys. I mean, come on, who would go to these lengths to talk about film in a different city?
4: Yeah, not me. (laughs) We're in the heart of Melbourne for film.
0: We are in Southern Cross. It is remarkable. We're even having coffee in true Melbourne style. I've convinced everyone to get my favorite drink, the Starbucks Grande White Chocolate Mocha Frappuccino. We come all the way to Melbourne for Starbucks, God. (laughs) As you can tell, we're from Sydney. So, yes... (laughs) So it is the Melbourne International Film Festival. It is a week in. There are an number of spectacular films, some which will getting national releases very soon. And one uh, many of us have just seen is Terence Malik's new of Voyage of Time at the IMAX cinema of all things. But before we talk about Voyage of Time, which we're very keen to get into, we're here to talk about Wind River, which is in cinemas now.
3: Yeah, it's a fantastic film with Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen in the lead. And it is completing the trilogy of, you know... Outback,
0: snowy, terrain films by Taylor Sheridan. This is completing his Frontier trilogy. He created Hell or High Water, wrote Hell or High Water and Sicario, two of my favorite films of the past few years. And now this is his directing debut in something he is also written, which is an Avengers reunion of sorts. You have Jeremy Renner, you have Elizabeth Olsen, and you have John Bernthal. So uh, a lot of the major characters there. And this is set in Northern America in the snowy hills. It's a, it's a Western in many senses. It's quite a remarkable film. And I've got to say it was... Uh, one of my favorites coming out of the sydney film festival what do we what do we think of win river
2: mm, i had some issues with it i think taylor sheridan is not a good enough director to pull this off i, I at least i don't think the approach he brings has enough poetry i think um it's a very blunt kind of um depiction a lot of the emotional notes don't land as as strongly as they should i think at times when he goes for a lyrical Montage-driven style, like, um, it completely falls flat. There's a scene of snowmobiles all arriving to the location where fate is going to play out. That seems like it's designed to mirror the scene, the incredibly memorable scene of trucks pulling up in Sicario. But in this movie, it instead of coming across as like the sense of doom building, it's just a two-minute montage of snowmobiles on screen. Like he doesn't have the artistic um, vision. To make his images land with the force that they need to to sell this kind of material.
0: I should clarify this film, it is about a murder that takes place on an Indian reservation in Northern America. And Isla Olson, who's a young FBI agent in the curly styling mode from Sansa Lambs, has gone in to solve this. Jeremy Renner is a local ranger, and together they team up to try and see just what has happened in this uh, quite eerie and, um, I guess, not always trodden part of the world.
3: But I guess Chanel had some uh, troubles with the depictions of characters in the film and I think they're justified. So, Chanel?
1: Yeah, I hated this movie. <laughs> Frankly, I found it to be a white savior story in a way. Um, so, the story is supposed to be about Native Americans and specifically Native American women and their struggles in terms of them being victimized by violence um, such as rape, which is char- what is followed in this movie. Unfortunately, what we have are two main characters to a white, not Native American, who swoop in and somehow save the day and completely disempower these people, as opposed to empower them, and then this movie tries to save it all at the end by going, this many people, this many Native American people go missing every year. You know, no, not all of them are found, and I was just sitting there like, that was really not the point of this movie at no at no point did this movie tie back to anything about people missing the story was about rape and whilst i, I acknowledge that it is related to the story um, it wasn't truly really what this film was about and then it and it didn't tie down to this whole white people savior revenge story that it went along so i i just completely didn't buy it at all
2: and yeah i think it's kind of insulting to end the movie on that kind of note when the native american characters are never given any real sense of like power in the narrative or but i mean that's understandable on some level the lack of power could be an artistic choice but in a narrative that's about representing native american struggle i feel like they should at least have been given more importance by the director it would have been good instead of having elizabeth olsen's character um how about having a Native American female character that's as significant as she is, instead of a movie just about white people coming to understand and be in solidarity with Native Americans?
0: Well, I mean, there was one interesting character, a Native American character, who was introduced at the beginning of the film, and it appeared at least that he was going to play a much stronger role. In the, but then he does in a thematic sense, but uh, in terms of an action sense, in terms of the actual story structure, he really wasn't surprisingly there that much at all, which uh, was a little jarring in the course of the film.
4: Are you talking about the dad, the dad character? Uh, yes, I am. I just feel like with Wind River, like I did enjoy it as well, but at the same time, I understand Chanel and Chris's kind of conflicts about it.
2: I'm a little bit suspicious of movies that are designed to give us this really cathartic release of revenge. You know, Tarantino can pull it off, but it feels very heavy-handed to me to make a movie about taking people who do very bad things and giving the audience an extended scene where those people get to be told that they're very bad and why what they did is very bad and then made to suffer for it. It seems like too neat, for mater- especially when the- this movie is covering such messy material. It's not true to life. It's more
3: audience-pleasing. Especially how the movie deals with the landscape. I think that's one of the more important features of the film, about how the ice and the snow and the endless, vast landscape of nothingness turns people into these sort of evil and damaged souls. But at the same time, what does it mean in terms of the people who find themselves and have to survive out there? It's a survival story, but actually trying to be something more than it's not. And I think that's disingenuous in that sense, because the music, it's a very integral part of the film. And I think it does build up that intensity and that kind of eerie silence and the feeling of it. But does it add up to anything? I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, on the note of the music, I actually thought that it was quite beautiful. The music in this film was was quite stunning. It just felt like it was made for a different film, unfortunately, because the the film was great in terms of uh, sorry, the uh, music was great in terms of building up suspense of the story and as if you were on the edge of this seat. But the whole time, I didn't feel like I was on the edge of the seat, um, and because part of it was as Chris mentioned. All these snowmobiles flying everywhere in this kind of dull manner in a way that didn't make you feel like anybody was in danger in any sense. Like the danger had actually already passed because unfortunately the victim of this story has passed away from the very beginning. And so whilst the the music was beautiful it just didn't seem fitting for the way that the story unfolded.
0: What I did find interesting, I think what is actually, unlike many elements of the story being well-received, is the the Y elements of the film, and it is, in every sense, a noir film. I mean, we saw him do a western with Hell of High Water, we saw him do a border drama with Sicario and this is a similar film in a sense where he's using the landscape in a very dark sense in the way that was done. You saw in, in some of the earlier films in the 40s and 50s some of the great American epics and there's just an extension of that so he has to trying to take a similar theme and cross any number of different American vistas.
2: Yeah it's a similar kind of like brutal snow western to the Revenant in some ways I would say.
0: And I think it's going to be very interesting to see what he does next. Uh, he's one of the golden boys of Hollywood right now. He has gone any number of projects as a result of his trilogy. When River, and in cinemas now, but we are in, at the Melbourne International Film Festival, so we really want to talk about myth. It's pretty exciting we're here, and uh, one film, as I mentioned earlier, that we have seen is Terrence Malick's A Voyage of Time.
2: I thought this was absolutely incredible. To be clear, what we saw at Melbourne International Film Festival is the 45-minute IMAX cut of the film. In some ways, it's a kid's movie. It's a, in some ways a, a traditional IMAX documentary designed to inspire and educate about science. However... It is unlike any other that's been made before because it has a poetic touch and it gives a dignity and a power emotionally to the images instead of being a strictly academic uh, documentary exercise. This movie shows you the inspiring images that we normally get in IMAX documentaries, but it layers them into an artistically um, beautiful narrative that gives them a weight. And I think this film is a great achievement that it's a great gift to children for education, as well as to cinema audiences. The visuals are stunning and the use of
3: music is, as always from Terrence Malick, impeccable. I think what Malick is trying to do, and this is fascinating, is that he's trying to have a conversation on a subliminal level about our visceral experiences and whether we have a language to communicate that in a shared space. And you know, whether we can have a shared language that you know we've experienced something together and whether we can communicate that without using words and just share in that time and space and I think there is an enthralling feeling of it but also at the same time you do kind of get taken on this journey it is a voyage of time in the real sense of the word
2: yeah, this movie really does make the audience feel like they've experienced something incredible with the sheer force of the images and sound. but And, and it does bring us together as one because it has this strong feeling of um, the oneness of the human race and the incredible fact that we are alive to experience these moments. So it's, a, a, I think, a very communal cinema-going experience in a way that a lot of films aren't these days. And that's what we need right now. But
0: as I ask every Terence Malik film, what is it actually about? But,
3: but that's the thing. I mean, cinema doesn't have to be about something. And what Voyage of Time is doing and what Malik is trying to do is that we need, all of us need, our own emotional anchors and our own narratives to find out what images make sense to us. And Malik is doing it in a very sensory experience. He's talking about images and the value of that.
1: That's very true, Varad. Um, I think this movie was well suited to IMAX as well because the scope of the images, the way that they could just fill up a screen and completely pop out of you and encapsulate you is really what he was going for with this movie. Um, on that theme of like oneness and understanding that you are part of the universe and you are part uh, of, a, of a greater web of interconnection with, with rocks, with trees, with plants, with water. And just having these giant images with this beautiful soundscape surround you really immerses you in that kind of sense of, in that sense of oneness.
2: I, I think to answer the question of what the film is about, one of the strong themes that came forward towards the end is understanding how the current world and all of our current lives are a natural phenomena and that we're not dis- distant from the natural world. We're all part of... The flow of the universe through time and continue to be so
0: that is a voyage of time 24 frames is up next by bus Kuristani, another film playing at this year's festival
2: yeah absolutely love this one this is his final film released posthumously after he tried he died tra- tragically too young in um, 2016 he clearly was a master until the end 24 frames is 24 still shots that are taken from a few are paintings, but mostly they're photographs that Abbas Kurastami has taken throughout the years. And what he has done is used animation and digital technology to imagine a before and after the moments that the photograph was taken, which he then digitally manipulates the photographs on stage with a lot of superimposition to bring them to life. And so at times there's humor that comes from the fact that some of these images are still photos and some parts are moving and other parts aren't. But other of the frames just tell incredibly um, beautiful stories and they interlink in, with each other so that um, themes and ideas that we see in some of the frames are then revisited in further frames. And so while it, it, it seems at first to be 24 separate fr- um, frames, it d- comes together to build a narrative of sorts, a thematic narrative that I think is has a great amount of power. Chanel? Did...
1: Yeah, In in a lot of ways I quite enjoyed this film as well. It very much was like the experience of going to an art gallery or a museum and being able to sit there in front of an image and imagine what's happening. And Abbas Kurastami has shown you what his imaginings are, and he allows you to immerse yourself in that in... In quite a lovely, touching, and very sweet way, um, you sit there and you are able to to laugh at just the the genuineness of the um, of the occurrences in the images that are going on, and um, and there are quite sad moments as well. Um, but I quite like the film because at the end at the end it seems to have this giant redeeming, uh, bittersweet. Uh, 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 It's a native image uh, about love, and that's ultimately what that movie was about. It it is about Abbas Kirastami showing his love for us through film and being able to show us all the different manifestations that love can have through images and, and just inviting us to join him in that.
2: Yeah, the movie has very few human characters appearing. It's mostly about looking at the natural world, and there's a lot of love for animals and what makes them different and what makes them similar to humans and uh, how we are mistreating the natural world. Um, what's, as Chanel said, what's great about this film is, despite it being very sad, and in some ways what could have been a very dour art film, he allows room in there for sweetness and for some very good-natured and gentle humour. It's a very emotionally complex and fascinating film, and I urge people to check it out.
0: And next up is Wonderstruck, which is quite a bit of publicity at the festival. Addie, what do we think of it?
4: I was put Wonderstruck... Yeah, I really liked it. I think it was a kind of uh, innocent story about yeah two, um, it's what seemed like two storylines of a girl that was shot in beautiful black and white, and yes, a kid, um, and they they both have an accident and they're both they both become deaf and it's kind of about um, communicating um, things um, through observation through um, yeah writing and yeah, there's little moments where you don't really think it's significant but it kind of becomes significant towards the end um i don't know i'm not sure if it was shot in was it shot in film Would did you know Glenn?
0: i'm not quite clear i'm seeing oh, it at the festival but it, it's shot in film yeah
4: yeah um well it it was just it had a like kind of um throwback to um like the 1920s 1930s and i uh, mentioned the introduction of sound in movies um which is an a thing that was quite significant especially when you're dealing with two deaf characters who um, experience the world through vis- visuals um, to suddenly have to get into becoming to do lip reading and learn how to communicate through, through like listening and through sound it's quite a challenge for them and yet there was little things that yeah made it really nice to look at and um, yeah little friendship stories and I just found it really cute.
0: So, uh, look, it's been a, the festival's been going on a week. Um, I just got here, so I'm pretty excited to get into things. We're going to the hub. Got off a bunch of things planned. Seeing Jungle on Thursday. Uh, you guys have been here a little bit longer than I have. How have you found the festival so far?
1: Uh, it's been a real blast. I've totally enjoyed just being in Melbourne, somewhere different, to enjoy some movies and just being able to enjoy the the cinema culture and the crowds here in Melbourne. The crowds, man. This is like my first myth, and I
4: didn't expect the lineup just a lot of walking
1: and it's
0: and yeah I, I always enjoy myth like there's a great communal feel around it. there's always great lectures and talks if you are in town please do check them out and next uh, up we have a few other films but let the sunshine in uh which is also screening at the festival
2: yeah this is the new film from claire denis it's about a woman dating later in life, not, not too late, but around middle age. She's gone past her, you know, a major relationship that's given her a child, and now she doesn't really know where she wants to go because every relationship that she s- starts seems to lead to disappointment. And she's, this movie is about her crises and the various people she sees. The Variety,
3: I think, had some strong feelings against it. Yes, I did, because I think the film is very disingenuous. This idea that we are, as a generation kind of lost and cynical about our attitudes towards love and opening up ourselves to people. It's something which is kind of makes me go through the emotions a little bit. And even though I think I enjoy the film, what it's trying to do, it's encapsulate a feeling of our kind of postmodern existence about how we go on about going through life in certain stages of, you know, denial, acceptance and falling back into traps. And I think the main character has a lot of that flaws about she tries to hold on to certain relationships, even though they're toxic. And it is, in a way, a more depressing film than a lot of Denis films. So people who are expecting a much more lighter rom-com kind of drama from Denis will be pleasantly surprised because this is a much more serious film. But I think I had more issues with what the film represents than the film itself.
2: I don't think the movie was really, uh, you know, like, too pessimistic about love itself as it was about like a certain class of people and a certain type of person and I don't think we're supposed to see the main character as being a particularly admirable person she has a lot of flaws and as the movie goes on it reveals to us a lot of hypocrisy as she struggles she isn't unable to separate herself from the milieu that has um, that brings a lot of the other pe- people surrounding her to disappoint her um, I think it's, uh, it's funny uh, while being also very dark and sad um, I actually quite enjoyed this though I think it's, a, it's ultimately a pretty slight film
0: So now a couple of us have to leave uh, we're kind of at the juncture here we just managed to be all milled at the same time which is very exciting but uh, before you go um, I know there's a few films I'm excited to see I'm seeing Jungle and Butterfly Tree this week what for the people who are going to MIF or might see some of these films in national release what are your recommendations from this year's festival?
1: Uh, I would have to say definitely 24 Frames and Voyage of Time. Big recommends for that.
0: And
2: Chris? Yeah, once more I'm in agreement. 24 Frames and Voyage of Time. I'd love to see some of the Hang Song Su films, which it turns out that Verrett will have some things to say about soon. I didn't get it to see a, enough of MIF as I'd like to. Um, I'd love to come back next year and record another Film Fight Club here with you guys and see more MIF movies
0: with a freer schedule. Maybe at the hub, too. The hub is pretty great.
3: That's true. I love the Hang Song Su films. I'm going to see one today as well. The three of them playing, Claire's camera on the beach at night alone and yours yours and yourself and yours. So, you know, it's a pick, take your pick. And basically... It's very interesting contrast to let the sunshine in and that kind of perspective on love, which I'll talk later on. But I think some of us have to leave because people have been flying in and flying out, doing it at the same time.
0: So look at the things we do for you guys. I mean, just imagine the extent that we're going here. It's, it's Melbourne. It's like another state. There's different currency here and everything.
2: I'll say one thing. I've been a little bit disillusioned by movies lately, and myth has actually reignited my love of cinema. So... Yay Mel- Melbourne Film Festival. Yeah,
3: Melbourne Film Festival.
0: And if you're around from in Melbourne, there are many other festivals. Yeah, the Indian Film Festival has been going on and I've been on
3: press duty for that. So I've been uh, doing around, you know, with my handy quarter, doing interviews and stuff like that. We had the opening night with a film called Lipstick Under My Burka, which was actually denied certification by the Indian Censor Board because it was, quote, and I'm not making this up, too lady-orientated. So that was the reason why they flat out denied any certification, which the filmmakers appealed and eventually it got released in India. So it was quite controversial. It basically follows the story of four different women in different status, ages and basically exploring their sexual desires and coming of age. It is a very, very interesting film. It's not something that Indian cinema likes to explore, especially women's sexuality and taboo issues like that. So I was very happy to see it.
0: Uh, We have one film left to discuss, and that is... That's Not Me. That's Not Me is an Australian picture will be getting a national release in Palace Cinemas on September 7th, had its world premiere at the Sydney Film Festival. I like one of the better Australian films to come out of the festival and is now doing sell-out screenings at Myth. It is directed by Gregory Ertstein who also co-wrote the film With Alice Foucher, who is the film's star She plays a character who is an aspiring actress An aspiring Australian actress However, she also has an identical twin sister Who is a somewhat more successful Australian actress It's a comedy, uh, it plays on some of the tropes and ideas Many in the film industry will be familiar with uh, But as people who are avid followers and lovers of film and cinema as we are And I quite enjoyed it And what did we think of That's Not Me? Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I mean,
3: we've been talking about films that are existential or give you a visceral experience or are dark and serious and very kind of art housey films. So I'm just happy to talk about a film that, you know, is a bit more light-hearted. It's exploring issues that makes you feel nice. Because I think, in the end, film festivals are all about you know, enjoying things. So it's not all about sad, depressing moments. Sometimes having a good laugh is also a good thing. And I really did enjoy it. I think it was a very good light touch in my schedule. And I really, I'm glad
0: I got to see it. And I'm really glad that people will get to see it nationally very soon. Yeah, it's really quite a fun film. I mean, there's a great scene at the very beginning where she's in a supermarket and someone recognises, oh, you're that actress. Like, no, it's my twin sister. And you can imagine the awkward, it's like, no, it really is my twin sister. And that does happen. And Linda Hamilton has an identical twin sister, um, quite a few famous performers do. And you, you can imagine the circumstances where they get mistaken and what they, how that inevitably ensues.
3: I know, I mean I and really was interested in seeing where the film takes this sort of trope. Because a lot of films do introduce these kind of tropes, especially identical twins, and then it just becomes a MacGuffin. So I was glad that this was actually the central pivoting point of the story. That you know the identical twins and the situations they do get into and how people perceive that is the crux of the narrative. So, you know, it's something simple, they don't pull any punches and it actually is carried through. In a way, it's a very solid film.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of great comedy of error moments. Um, There's a great sequence where they go over to the States, and Isabel Lucas, who apparently filmed all the scenes in the course of a few days, uh, joins the cast, and that leads to some of the film's darker satire. I mean, it's a straight comedy in some senses, but there's a bit bit where she goes into the production agency and where she engages in a relationship of sorts with someone who was um, seeing her sister previously. There's any number of strange, eclectic uh, elements and ways the story weaves itself.
3: I mean, we talk about... Aussie cinema and Australian cinema, and whether it's any good or not. So I think this is the answer. I mean, you know, it's a very good Australian film, and there's another one playing called The Butterfly Tree, which Glenn would catch this week, which I was at the world premiere at the Forum in the first week of Miff to watch. So I think if you are looking to watch some Aussie cinema and you're at Miff and you want to support some local talent, go and watch these films because they are quite interesting.
0: I mean, speaking of local talent, it's really Alice Foucher. I mean, she really makes the film in some senses because, like, to make a good film, what you need generally is a good lead or a good story. And this this has both. And it's autobiographical in some senses because she was working at a local cinema, which the, as a character does the film, and is now, you know, making films on a national scale.
3: I mean, it's interesting the sort of level of autobiography and sort of fiction that's sort of interweaved in this narrative because Alice Foucher, like you said, was doing that. And at the same time, She has done a lot of heavy lifting in this film, and it's almost a one-woman show. I mean, these films are not like that, but I think Alice Foucher, I think, does elevate the essence of the narrative from the performance and from just the entire vision of it. It's, It's quite spectacular.
0: There are a few pretty good characters too, though. There's another uh, young fellow who's like a filmmaker and uh, he kind of plays uh, some of the stereotypes that we do know. We all know someone like that. You know, he is a great line in film. Oh, I don't watch Australian films. And
3: we all kind of know someone like that. <laughs> I've spent too many time in MIFQs to have heard that in the overheard sections of MIFQs too many times. Not just Aussie films. I think I don't watch commercial cinema. is another one.
0: Yeah, yeah I think I think I think I saw it at the Hub last year that guy. Oh uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, he was typing away in the corner <laughs> alone. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's yeah, look, it's a really really sweet fun Aussie film. I'm glad it's getting a national release. It just shows you know what we can do when we put our minds to it. So that is that's not me. It's playing at the festival and for what you also you saw the headline film of the festival Jungle starring Daniel Radcliffe, which is uh, based on a true story of an Israeli who got lost in the in a jungle in South America, and who actually, uh, Yossi Ginsberg, and who actually was at the premiere, who lives in, he's Aussie now, who lives in Byron Bay. What do we think of Jungle? I
3: mean, after Swiss Army Man, where Daniel Radcliffe played a corpse, I was very excited to see what next he's going to do. Because I think, just like Robert Pattinson, I think Radcliffe is kind of in that space where he doesn't really care about his celebrity at all so he's just picking roles as he pleases and I'm actually kind of impressed by that like there's just no whole barred attitude towards your own celebrity and I think this is something which you know if he didn't headline the project this might not have gotten so much attention so I'm really glad the film actually is getting that kind of wider
0: scope. It's fascinating what he's doing now. It's just Iron Man was my favourite film, not just for the City* film, but it was my, actually my favourite film last year. And he's producing Horns, he did What If, he's taking these small roles in a number of art house films. And even uh, Rob Pattinson is just an example because people who would have mocked me a few years ago, the New Republic had an article just the other day saying, he is now, This is why he is now at the avant garde of filmmaking in many senses.
3: I mean, from the Sydney Film Festival, uh, Good Time by Rob Pattinson was one of the highlights of that fest. And now here, it's uh, Lost City of Z, the James Gray, the new James Gray film playing at Mif which is also coming out nationally very soon. So Robert Pattinson is, you
0: know, an actor. We should we should call him that now. I think it's about time. Oh, he's been an actor, like The Rover. He's made some great films going over the years, and I am looking forward to Lost City of Z. That is playing at 6.30 on Thursday night at MIF. There are still tickets available. Um, and so, Addy, yeah, uh, we didn't ask you, what is? do you have uh, some recommendations for the listeners as to what would be some of the picks, standouts from this year's festival?
4: Um, I would recommend... ones I've seen which would be Wonderstruck and um, A Voyage of Time
0: fantastic yeah I might even even go see A Voyage of Time now one of the most.
3: <laughs> I, I, I think Glenn is sort of averse to Malik's style of cinema, so I think he's joking, but if you were to go and see it, you can just imagine what myth does to you. Like you are even going <laughs> to see films of, of directors that you detest. So that is what Melbourne can do to you. So my, one of my favorite highlights of the festival has been a film I saw, the sort of Night I flew down here on Tuesday night last week, was a film called Machines by an Indian director, Rahul Jain, which won. The Sundance Cinematography Award. So it's basically set in a factory in uh, the state of Gujarat where you basically a fly-on-the-wall approach of factory workers inside and it's very much inspired by the James Benning, Pig-Iron style of filmmaking. So it's a beautifully shot, visually aesthetic experience of, you know, so many of experiences. And it's also a very political film. It's basically about workers' rights, you know, in that sort of capitalist environment and how they have to work 12-hour shifts without getting the compensation that they, de- they deserve.
0: It's, it's curious that it's set in Gujarat, of all places, Modi's home state.
3: It, it is a very political film, and I think those political issues are not resolved in the narrative, but it is, once again, questioning the status quo, in which I think all good films are, in some sense, political protest art. So I think, you know, in that sense, the film does kind of raise some interesting questions.
0: Well that is us for this week. Uh, we will, next week we will be back from Melbourne. we'll be back in lovely Sydney, the two S C R studio. Uh, and we have we will be reporting a little bit more from the Melbourne Film Festival. In the meantime, enjoy movies, check if you have us things you want us to fight about or suggestions, hit us up at the two SCR page or on Falcon Screen. And if you want to hear an extended interview with Alice Foucher and Gregory Erdy from That's Not Me, that is on the Celluloid Dreams page on two SCR. Good night everyone and sweet dreams and Melbourne, stay with you.